Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. It's really good to have you with us this evening. Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians 5. And don't be alarmed by the dash 17. I ain't going to do that to you while we're standing. Unless you just really aggravate me just in between here and now and I start reading. And I just might do it for meanness. I'm just going to read just a few verses of scripture to get us started. Then I'll let you be seated and I'll read just a few more, but not all the way to 17. Verse or chapter 5. We're in another chapter here, starting with verse 1. He says, Be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also have loved us and have given himself for us an offering and a, and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor I'll just read that for starts this evening Father God I need you this evening Lord in this place I pray Lord you would help us again I know that every time we come here and We open up the word of the God. We open up, Lord Jesus, these books and we teach or we preach from them. God, that you come down. God, and you make yourself known because your word is so precious. God to you, Lord, and due to that, Lord, it's precious, Father, unto me. And I want to, Lord Jesus, search them out. God, for I know there is life in them. God, I pray, Lord, touch our minds and hearts this evening. God, our understanding, God, of this precious word. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. For the next few moments, my subject matter is Christian disciplines. Christian disciplines. I'd like to continue with verse 3 and read a few more verses of Scripture to give us a springboard here so you're not totally lost whenever we start to talk here. He continues in verse 3 and says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an adult, idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye, therefore, partakers with them Christian disciplines the closure of chapter number four we relayed how Paul gave us a model for our own personal forgiveness in the last verse of chapter four telling us forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiving 
have forgiven you. And so uh, he, he gave us the model that our way to forgive is to forgive even as God has forgiven us. So with that lingering thought being on our minds, again, there, there is not this breakdown of chapters uh, in the original manuscripts of the Greek. This is, these breakdowns is where men felt like that that's probably a good breaking point for a chapter. So whenever you're reading in the original manuscripts, this is just a continuous line of thought. And so with that lingering in our mind, as a background, Paul continues and says, Therefore, uh, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Be followers of God as dear children. In other words, uh, pattering our forgiveness after God's is just one area that there needs to be a pattering or a just or even so as or just like as God. Paul uh, wants that even as God experience, if we could call it like that, a even as God experience. Paul wants that even as God experience or phrase to be utilized in every area of our life because he's admonishing us then to be followers of God as dear children. So we forgive even as God. We talk even as God. We care even as God. You get the idea? He wants us to be followers of God. The Greek word translated followers here is where we get our English word mime or mimic. Mime or mimic. How many's ever seen a mime? You ever seen a mime? You know, the white face, closed mouth or open, you know, sometimes and they're in the box. They don't say anything. They just express it. Paul says, I want you to be followers of Christ. Let the true test of you being a follower, though, be in your mime work. You don't necessarily have to say anything, just express it. He said, be followers of Christ. It's where we also get our word mimic. Uh, the, the mimicking thing, you know, like playing the old game of following the leader. You remember playing the game, follow the leader, always wanted to be the leader because you could get your friends to do some other things that they otherwise would not normally do. But since you were the leader, uh, they were mimicking you or they were following you. And so Paul's saying, I want you to be followers of God or if you will, mimickers of God. Echo what God does. Echo how God acts. Echo whatever he does. And so then he says, as dear children, because children has this down to a pat. I know sometimes my kids have went through that certain area or time uh, that they think it's funny. It gets aggravating though after a while to me, but they think it's funny. You're talking and they're saying everything that you're saying. You know, hey dear, what do you want? Hey dear, what do you want? And you get this echo thing going. Now, that's aggravating to me, but I think uh, God would be well pleased if he could just have a few mimickers in the house. Uh, that would just say what he would say, do what he would do. So he's, uh, children, they have a way that they, they, they imitate. You've heard it before. Maybe it's been told to you, you act just like your mama. You act just like your daddy. Uh, we were in a, uh, you know, some, sometimes you look like your daddy, sometimes you act like your daddy or your mom. But uh, children, to a certain degree, they get to that place where they want to be like their parents. And so they do. They aspire to imitate or they aspire to act like their parents. And see, he says, be followers of God as, as dear children. So just as a child would, would wish to be like their parent, uh, be, wish to, that the children of God would be like God, that they would mimic God. And so he continues to tell us then, after that, he says, walk in love. And here comes this idea again. We're to forgive even as God has forgiven us. But he says to walk in love as Christ also 
So here, once again, the example is to follow or to imitate is Christ. Follow or imitate His love. Amen. And for the believers, love defined by the actions of Christ. This is how love is defined. You can look at it right there in Scripture. Walk in love even as Christ also have loved us. And here's how He loved us. Hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice. Amen. The actions of Christ was this then. His love, the defining moment of His love was a giving of Himself for the benefit of another. That was the, the, that, the definition that Christ gave to love as a result of His own example that we should even be like. He gave Himself for the benefit of another. And it's with, with that background and with that backdrop that the Apostle Paul continues now in some other discussions and other verses where the church society has greatly misrepresented what real love is. Because he now goes into this area of discussion with that a backdrop of what true love is, how God had exampled love as a, a giving of himself for the benefit of another, and he enters now into an area of society and the church at Ephesus, how they were having a love that was a giving of self for the benefit of self. Amen. And he spears it head on, and we would think, Apostle Paul, this is highly unnecessary about what you're about ready to say in verse number 3. If you're speaking to a church, if you're speaking to the church at Ephesus, this would seem very, very much so unnecessary. But it was not whenever Paul said, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you. Because, folks... I know we're, li we're living in a day really not far, re far removed from this day right here. We went through a series, and I'm not talking about a Bible study series, but we went through a series and a journey over time that the dynamics have almost come full circle. We're back, history's repeating itself. Because you must understand for the culture of their time in the city of Ephesus, for that matter, for most in the New Testament, th this idea of fornication, amen, was not rare but was commonplace. It was commonplace for people to fornicate. May I even say this? It was acceptable for people to fornicate. It was acceptable to have premarital affairs. It was acceptable to have extramarital affairs. It was acceptable for, for, for men finding favor in men. Ladies finding favor in ladies. It was acceptable for prostitution. It, it, it was acceptable for all these... I'm, I'm not telling you the truth. It was, if, if I could get it any plainer, it was a way of life. It's the way that you lived life in Ephesus and the surrounding areas. So the, the Apostle Paul's coming to the forefront of a group of people that this had been their normal way of living. And so he's not, this is not odd. Why, why would you be saying this to a church of Ephesus? Because the life that they had known, that was life. To be a fornicator, premarital, extramarital, all of these other things to have that going on in your life. And so he must say without any blushing in his face, hey, concerning fornication, let that not be named among the church. 
And let me tell you, folks, we're not far removed from that day. Statistics prove that premarital, extramarital, prostitution, all these other things are becoming more of the standard of the way of life today. The whole idea of love, of the example, the, the way that Christ had based love, of the giving of self for the benefit of another, has really dissolved. People are out. We say, I know we say it all the time, and I'll say it till the rapture takes place. We, by and large, as a society, are a selfish society. We do things as long as we're going to get a kickback, as long as it's going to be pleasurable, gratifying, indulgent to ourselves. And Paul was just standing up and saying, hey, that's not the type of love that God example he was combating all of this so all these different type of affairs and in sexual immorality were ordinary parts of their society and so it is our society I don't know if you you know if you have your head in the sand you better get it out these are normal parts of our society and culture immoral actions outside of the covenant of marriage is a norm Amen. In the Greek culture of that day, prostitution, fornication, they were considered permissible activities. Uh-huh. And that's becoming more dominant in our society. As a matter of fact, a married man in Greece could engage in an extramarital affair as much as he wished. And this is though where maybe it's a little different from our culture, but it was forbidden for his wife to do the same. A Greek man of this era is quoted saying this. He said, we keep mistresses for pleasure, concubines for daily concubinage, but wives we have in order to produce children legitimately and to have a trustworthy guardian over our domestic property. Our society is not greatly removed from that right there because there's businessmen going on trips today that's in a hotel, should be all alone, but they found some professional escort within the city. But they're going to keep mom at home because she feeds the kids, clothes the kids, makes sure ever all the appointments and everything... Amen. Whenever the New Testament church was birthed in the book of Acts, listen, folks, whenever the church was birthed in the book of Acts, you know what Christianity really brought in? An idea that had not really been thought too hard on until the church was birthed. The church is the ones that brought in this idea of chastity, being chaste, being pure, the marriage bed being undefiled. Yes, the church is what brought all of that in. Before that, man, it was just mayhem, fornication. That's the way it was. Fornication, or in the Greek, it means, the Greek word for fornication is porneia. Fornication, when you read a fornication in the Bible, it includes all of this. It includes premarital affairs. It's a real general term. Extramarital affairs, incest, homosexuality, bestiality, and the use of pornography, although in that day that wasn't necessarily so much prominent as it is in ours. And although pornography may not have been in use then, 
If you look at the Greek word for fornication, porneia, P-O-R-N-E-I-A, the first four letters are porn. That's the base Greek word where we get our word, pornography. And look what Paul did in writing here, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. Paul, you're kind of, I mean, you're kind of putting a real weighty matter with something less weighty here. Grouping covetousness with fornication? What's going on here, Paul? You're kind of making a little bit of a mistake here. But when we understand that covetousness is desiring what does not belong to us, we understand then covetousness is at the very root of fornication. Desiring another man's wife? Uh Uh-huh. Desiring something that is not within the covenant of our marriage bed? Uh Uh-huh. The very root of that is covetousness. Desiring something that does not belong to us. So Paul knew what he was talking about whenever he grouped together. Don't let there be fornication or even covetousness once named among you. Why? Because covetous is the very root of fornication. And the best way to destroy any tree is to hit the root. Amen. I think today we've done a lot of tree trimming. A lot of twig and branch trimming. Hear me now. We even, you know, uh, just shave that off there. And, you know, that thing can still survive and go on. What we need to be doing in our day for the church of Ephesus, what Paul was saying, for the church, amen, even in Mount Carmel today, we need to lay the axe to the root of the problem. Stop trimming hedges. Stop trimming. Lay it to the root. Amen. So we got to go right there. Furthermore, Paul was so adamant about this, this idea throughout all the churches. In Romans 1, Paul made a very close, if not direct, correlation between idolatry, the worshiping of idols, with immorality. You can read it. Because they did not wish to retain God in their knowledge. And they made a four-footed beast. And they worshiped those things of gold and silver, basically as gods. As a result, that God turned them over to do those things which were uncommon. All right? Paul almost makes a direct, amen, or close relationship correlation then between idolatry and immorality. Because when people refused to worship God and made idols to worship of that day, whenever you turn from the true God and went to idol worship, some type of pagan worship, those religions oftentimes gave themselves to sexual immorality. Amen. Because in that culture, if there was an, if you could call it that, if, you, if there was an alternative religion to the one true God, there were pagan gods, that people, a part of their, their, their dogmas and doctrines, a part of their religion and religiosity was to involved in some type of skewed sexual immorality. It was a part of their worship of their God. It was a part of the religion system to their God. So in essence, hear me clearly, in essence to not worship God was to open yourself to every kind of immorality. I don't believe that's just for the system then. It's a system now. To not worship God is to open your life to every possible means and area of sexual immorality in our world. 
Why? Because the God of fornication is what? Self. The practice of a premarital sexual relationship. You know what that's about? That's not about two people in love and they're just consummating uh, their marriage before their marriage. No, it's about satisfying themselves. The extramarital affair, it's about he said or she said. It comes to a place that they're, wanting to, they're not necessarily having maybe a pleasing type of relationship within the confines of their marriage. So they're looking for that pleasure. Mm-hmm. Looking to please themselves. Prostitution. Reason with me here, all right? <laughs> Let's reason together. The guy that finds a prostitute and lays in a bed, a fornication with her, Do you think he's sharing the love of God and he's given himself for the purpose of her benefit? No. It is for himself. Pornography? He or she? The lines are getting very blurred. You see, you think, well, that's a man issue. No, it's a woman issue too. What's that, what is that about? Oh, we'll, we'll get this and this is going to help our marriage. Baloney! And amazingly, what was stated centuries ago in some of the early centuries during Paul's time needs to be stated again for our time. The morals, perhaps, of a generation ago of our grandparents or our grandparents' grandparents would see the mentioning of this fornication thing perhaps a little unnecessary. But not today. Not today. We're not far from the position of the Greeks, especially, and let me just just go this route just for a little bit, especially when we consider the inroads of something that wasn't necessarily prevalent in their day, pornography. I got on last night. Uh, Brother Mason to uh, CovenantEyes.com, which is a web filtering filtering system you can purchase. You can get put it on your computer. It can be on uh, iPads, iPhones, iPods, all that stuff. Uh, it can uh, filter uh, the internet for your children. It can send reports to the parents about where they've been, what they've done. It filters, but it also anything that they would type into a browser, it's going to tell exactly what they typed, where they're looking for. They do very in-depth study concerning the lines of pornography. And it's a, and my heart just fell. They had a page there that had six digits across there. And it was constantly rolling, Brother Mason. And it said the number of por- pornographic sites that had been contacted since the beginning of 2013. And it was already up to 350 million. And I watched that number and it, it never stopped, never paused, never let up. Sometimes it would skip 500 at a time because it was just over and over and over and over. People's constantly driving for that. They say, according to their research, and it's very well founded, uh, as of 2013, more than one in eight web searches are for erotic content. Listen now, listen parents. You have your kids that have mobile devices, smartphones. One in five mobile searches are for pornography. One in five. 67% of children admit to clearing their internet history to hide their online activity. First of all, let me tell you, Bubba, you're going to have to do more than that to hide it. 
Secondly, we need to be diligent as parents to have safeguards in there that they're not even haphazardly exposed to something. You know, we used to talk about, you know, divorce in the church, divorce outside of the church. You know, it was about 50-50, 50% either way. Whether in church, Christian or non-Christian, they're getting divorced. Well, let's throw in the curveball of pornography in there. And they say 56%, listen, 56% of divorce cases involve one party having an obsessive interest in online porn. (laughs) Paul was so strong in his conviction concerning these things, he said, let it not be once named among you he says these things should not be the practices of saints he goes on let me stop right here I just read just one in that and look, uh, looking at all those statistics they gave several just pages pages brother Mason it'd be a great resource pages pages Research and someone just was making a comment down at the bottom concerning everything they had done. They said, We're so thankful that you had done this. Said, I had my kids the other day at the public library, and one of my kids, which was around eight years old, was exposed to pornography by someone that was utilizing it on the library, the library computer, and said, We addressed the librarian and those, the director and authority over that, and said they laughed it off as though it was no big You're saying unheard of. No, watch the news. Read your newspaper. This isn't something like, you shouldn't be surprised by that. It's happening every day. It's happening every day. It's happening in churches. It's happening in churches. This type of thing uh, of, of giving yourself, amen, for the benefit of yourself is happening all the time. Let me tell you, I can probably count I, I, five or seven I know of that I could think of real quick. Five or seven churches that I preached in whenever I evangelized that their pulpits was void at some time because of sexual immorality. Paul went on to mention some other things that were off limits. He said filthiness. What is that? That's that's obscenities. He said foolish talking. What's he talking about? In the context of all of this in which is being said, he's talking about innuendos. Innuendos. Snive little comments that, that may have some undertones that are sexual. I've heard it out of the mouths of young people. I ain't necessarily saying here, but I'm just saying I've heard just, you know, you, you just round at conferences and stuff and I'm standing around sometimes and you hear in the distance, you hear them talking and you hear something goes on and people laugh about that. I said a long time ago, there's two things that proves a lot of your character and that's what you laugh about and that's what you cry over. He said jesting, oh, Brother McKee saying we shouldn't joke. No, he's talking about those off-colored jokes. And he sums up the seriousness of, of making these impure actions, life practices, continual life practices. What does he say? He tells us, he said, for this you know, no whoremonger, unclean person, covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom. 
Do I have no inheritance in God's kingdom? Warren Wiersbe said it like this. He said, a Christian is not sinless, but he should sin less and less and less. Paul said, don't be deceived with vain words because the vain words and the false teaching that was proliferating right there in that day, here was the false teaching that was coming to this body and group of people. It was this, was that the body has no bearing upon the spirit and the spirit doesn't have any bearing upon the body. The two were considered basically independent rather than interdependent. And thus, the idea then that was conveyed is this. A person can do any and all things unimaginable in their body and have no spiritual ramifications. Mm -hmm. That's what some taught. That's what some thought. And Paul's saying, don't give ear, don't be deceived with these vain words. Because when we're talking about sexual immorality... It's more than a physical affair. It's a spiritual affair. Just as our spirit can affect our body, our physical bodies can likewise affect our spirit. These bodies of our body and spirit are integrated. Here is one vice that the apostle said that you might need to include and use in 1 Corinthians 7 too, although this is not, it says it might help you avoid, but it doesn't keep it away altogether. He says, nevertheless, he says to avoid fornication, he says, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. God created this beautiful gift in the very beginning to bring pleasure to our mate. It was the giving of yourself for the benefit of the other. The example that Christ brought down. But normally, outside the marital bond, whether it happens premarital, extramarital, prostitution, again, it's the giving of yourself for the benefit of yourself. It was never, let me underscore this gift that God gave in the beginning, the two becoming one flesh, the consummation of a marriage, it was never to be an individual act. Everybody just getting a little, Brother McGee, you're kind of talking about some, I know, listen, generations before me, this was taboo, I understand, all right? But let's talk about it. Is it I'm going PG-13 here just a little bit, all right? Pornography breaks down the original purpose of that gift. Plug your kids' ears if you need to plug them right now, all right? I'm telling you. Masturbation breaks down. Hear me today. The original purpose of that gift. Oh, boy. It changes intimacy between two to intensity for one. It shifts from pleasing and serving someone else to serving self. That's not the example of love that Paul started out that we should follow. Love even as Christ. How did he do it? He gave himself for the benefit of another. 
From 1978 to 2008, a span of 30 years, cohabitating, cohabitating couples increased from 1 million to 5 million. 30-year time frame. 1 million to 5 million. Why? I'll tell you my thoughts. This is just my thoughts. Nobody else's opinion but me. That precious gift reserved for marriage being tampered with outside of the marital covenant. And if a person desires self-gratification or self-indulgence, they can find it freely outside of the institute of marriage. Used to, you only found that within the covenant of marriage. But now we have all these peripheral things and nobody cares. You can have per se, of what the covenant of marriage promises you without the covenant. Not to mention, you lose your tax break. Don't, don't tell me. You better believe there's people living together and not getting married because they still want to get their taxes like they are. <laughs> well, glory. I'll, I'll just... Should have, brought, should have had you bring a backhoe tonight, Brother Johnson. We're going to dig ourselves out of here. Not only did Paul say we should walk in love, but we should walk as children of light. Look, though, at verse number 10, Ephesians 5.10. Proving what is acceptable unto me. Proving what's acceptable unto us. No. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Read the old story. He said there was an old fable told about an elderly man. He was traveling with a boy and a donkey. And as they traveled through one particular village, the man was leading the donkey and the boy was walking behind. The townspeople said the old man was a fool for not riding on the donkey. So he climbed up on the donkey and went on his way. When they came to the next village, the people said the old man was cruel to let the child walk and the old man to enjoy the ride. So to please them, he got off and set the boy on the animal's back and continued on his way. Came to the third village, people accused the child of being lazy for making the old man walk. Suggested that it was made that, that, that both ride on the donkey. So the man climbed on and they both set off into the sunset on the donkey. In the fourth village, the townspeople were just mad, crazed at the cruelty to the donkey that two people would be riding on its back. Frustrated old man was last seen carrying a donkey down the road. <laughs> the moral of the story, just find out what's acceptable to the Lord. I've seen people uh, change like a whirlwind because of going off the premise of the opinions of people. Amen. Or going with whatever the fads or fashions were even of their worldly environment. You want to place the stability? Just find out what is acceptable unto the Lord. Prove what is acceptable unto the Lord. Remember, David even didn't take Saul's armor into battle against Goliath because he had not proved them because the proving is the testing. The proving is the examination. So the test related here is whether or not the thing is acceptable or, if you will, pleasing to the Lord. Not whether it's pleasing to my parents. Not whether it's pleasing to my family. But is it pleasing unto the Lord? And if we prove it by what is acceptable unto God, 
You'll win every time. God didn't give, and in this, God in his infinite wisdom did not give then a list of precepts because he knows that all the hills and valleys would not be able to hold the book if he did so. So he gave us a general principle. Ask yourself the question, is this action or this deed or this word going to be acceptable unto God? If so, go on. If not, refrain. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 21, here we are again. The apostle says, prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Right here, just containing these two verses, it kind of almost sets up a, a sorting type process. First, we prove or we examine all, everybody say all. all, all things. And so after your examination, after your examination of all things, you're going to know by proving that, by examining that, this is good, this is evil. Now, here he says is the proper response to the discovery you've made as a result of your examination, of proving. He says, hold fast to that which is good, and abstain, push away from, don't abstain from evil. Look though, it puts in just a little footnote. Even the appearance of evil. Bishop, if I go to my refrigerator and get in that lunch meat drawer and I got some turkey in there from the deli and on that sticker it says that the expiration date is still good but I open it up and it doesn't smell right and I taste a little bit of it and it doesn't taste right and it looks just a little peculiar to me. It's going in the trash. Because I don't want to chance an upset stomach on something that's bad. So if what you're going to do smells a little funny to you, tastes a little funny to you, looks a little obscure and not right to you, throw it in the trash because you do not need to chance something that's going to be detrimental to your relationship with God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5.1, I had a move. Didn't really plan on being this slow. First Corinthians 5.1. Someone said you never do. First Corinthians 5.1. It is reported commonly. Everybody say reported commonly. That there is fornication among you. And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. My emphasis is on this reported commonly. God showed me this a long time ago, but it just, a lot of times he does stuff like that and you just don't have a place to incorporate him, you know. But I did tonight. Reported commonly. What's happening here? Paul is getting some second-handed reports. Second-handed reports. Now, we all know stuff travels through the grapevine. You hear he said, she said. 
It's not always trustworthy. So Paul, how can you trust the second-handed reports? The Bible says that they reported commonly to him. In other words, it's getting back to him, not even always by the same person, that there is some fornication going on. Now listen, folks, even if there wasn't any literal or blatant fornication that was happening, there were several reports coming to Paul through various venues that were indicating that there was something of a skewed, shady fashion that needed some attention. If it wasn't blatant fornication, there was still some report. There was still something going on that was making various people that may have no internet action with each other saying, hey, I think there's some fornication going on. And why would that even be suspected if there wasn't something suspicious? And so, here's Paul. If they were not fornicating, but there were some actions that were taking place in their life that could be interpreted or make one, and in this case several, to believe that there was, then it still needed to be addressed. Abstain from all appearance of evil. What are you saying? Man, I got personal experiences for this. In the past, I've had a person approach me about another person in leadership doing something unbecoming of a Christian. For that matter, of a leader. If it's unbecoming of a Christian, it's unbecoming of a leader. Brother Mason, I did not do anything about it because it was secondhand information. Matter of fact, I told that person, I said, you just don't worry about that, you know, so on and so forth, and uh, so on and so forth. Didn't do anything. However, over a period of time, I had two other people approach me about the same person stating the same faulty action and none of the three knew that the others had talked to me or that they, all three, had witnessed this person do the same thing that each one of them had seen. They had not conversed. Do we have a problem? You better believe we have a problem. Why? Because it's commonly reported from different venues and the very same action. And thing. You better believe it's commonly now, I'm not asking for everybody in here to start becoming a, a tattletale. All right? Know your place. But I will tell you this. If my ear picks up on stuff from various places and they harmonize in their story, we're going to talk. Because me having knowledge of it, if it came from all three different resources and it's commonly reported, I'm not becoming accomplice in your sin. I don't care who you are. I'm not becoming accomplice. I'm not putting my hands in that. Yeah. Yeah. Because Israel was at fault concerning everything that Achan took. Israel was at fault. The whole nation of Israel was at fault. They were suffering. But after Joshua realized it was Achan, they took it to Achan. You know who sinned it? Because first it was Israel's sin. But whenever he pinpointed who was the perpetrator, it was on Achan's life. And so as long as I don't do anything, man, it's first apostolic church's baby. But whenever I come and talk to you about it, it's your baby. That's right. 
Amen. He says in Ephesians 5, 12, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Now watch what Paul is alluding to here, and we're talking to this immorality aspect. Listen to me very clearly. Some things are so vile that they should be discussed in as little detail as possible because even describing them is morally and spiritually dangerous. You understand? There's... The, some of you come, if you ever come to me with some of your most intimate problems of life, of marriage, I don't need to know every detail. Because some of those things are so vile, you could set me up for a moral failure. Yes. Another reason why Paul is integrating this is back in the Old Testament, God had forbade the people of Israel, listen, to even mention the name of other gods. Lest doing so, it would entice them to follow after those gods. Uh-huh. Got to be careful that whenever we speak of these things and actions that may be ungodly or even actions of Christians that may be ungodly, that in doing so, we're not becoming advertisers of it rather than reprovers of it. Amen. I'm going on, I got a little bit of time. So not only should we walk in love, walk as children of light, but he says we should walk circumspectly. In other words, we should walk watching each step closely. We should walk carefully. And here's the age-old scripture in verse 16. He says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming in, in the, the Greek root means buy up. Time in the Greek means a special time or opportunity. In other words, we should buy up every opportunity. Stand with me and I'll close. We should buy up every opportunity. Now, don't shut me out yet just because we're standing, okay? I know. Sometimes people straighten knees and it engages sleepy time. Buy up every opportunity. Watch this carefully. If you look at verse 17, the only, look at verse 17. The only way we will know an opportunity is if as here in verse 17 we understand what the will of the Lord is. Some miss spiritual opportunities not because they were not seen but because they were not understood. What I said there was a mouthful but there's a lot of truth laced in that. Some miss spiritual opportunities, not because Bishop they, not because they weren't seen, but because they weren't understood. The will of the Lord was still yet a mystery to them. If I may just lean upon a New Testament occurrence, and I'll, I'll close. The Bible says clearly that Martha received him, Jesus, into her house, but no further. Mary, on the other hand, received his word. Martha seen Jesus as Jesus, but Mary understands the will of God and sees him as an opportunity that she needed to buy up. 
And what, what granted all that? Because someone had the understanding of what the will of the Lord was and was able to discern an opportunity just from another moment. I don't want to miss the opportunities here in this assembly in our church just because I've not familiarized myself with God's will. Because they will come, we could see them, but we could miss them because of a lack of understanding of God's will. We don't realize it or categorize it as an opportunity. And therefore do not buy it up. Christian, Christian disciplines. Let's bow our heads in this place. God, I love you, Jesus. Folks, let me tell you. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.